How many of you would uh, like to consider yourself a traveler? Let me see your hand. You like to get the suitcase out. What, the rest of you stay home all the time, really? I know many of you travel on business trips or you, you know, uh, or maybe you like to, some folks like to take a cruise. Uh, some folks like to just get on a plane and jump to some place just to get away, and they like to travel. Well, throughout the years, Becky and I have done our fair share of traveling, though I'm sure if you ask her, she'd say it's not nearly enough, probably, because she's always ready to go on a trip. However, early in our marriage, I had to learn some very, very important travel lessons, and one of them was this. I, I had to learn just how many pieces of luggage were necessary when you're traveling with your wife. Now, I'm, I'm honestly not being sexist, please. I'm just saying that if you want your wife to look beautiful as mine does, you have to learn what all is required in the process. So when we got married, I, I have to tell you, one of the first astonishing things was to see how many suitcases, and this is before we had the kind you could roll around. I mean, the man had to carry them all. Hello? How many were required for just a, a three-day trip? And so it was with fear and trembling that I, I finally got, got up the nerve to ask one day, why, why, why is all this necessary? I really don't get it. Why is all this necessary? And, and you know what? And, and she taught me why this is necessary. And here's what I learned. Because number one, you need lots of options for wherever you're going. You don't ever know really what the weather's going to be when you get there. Now, I know we've got now, and today we've got the weather on our phones and on our apps, on all our devices, which I still don't trust most of the time. But, you know, and then there's the weatherman who it's just a good guess from him. I mean, let's be honest. But so you don't ever know what the weather's going to be and exactly what it's, so you need options. And then the, the biggest thing I learned from all of that is the reason you need options of, because you don't really know what mood you're going to be in when, when you get there. Wasn't expecting that, but okay. But you need options because you don't know what, you know, when you get there, you don't know which outfit's going to feel right when you put it on. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what I'm saying, but maybe you know what I'm saying. You need, you need options. And, then, and then, then with that, then now we get into the to shoes and God help us with all the options you have to, and then jewelry. Now we really need the Lord and and with each of these things, you must have options. Now, it's a lot easier with a guy. Am I right, gentlemen? You're going on, on a three-day trip, and all you need, you need the pair of socks that you have on right now. Maybe a couple of more for this three-day trip, unless you decide just to turn them inside out and get some more mileage out of them. <laughs> then you just need the underwear that you have on right now, and maybe a couple of more, unless you decide to turn... A couple of shirts, a toothbrush, and you're good. Can I get a witness, brothers? We can pack in three minutes or less. But with your wife, just to pack for the three-day trip, that's an all-day affair, just to, just to do the packing. Well, here's the deal. i got to be honest, and i got to be fair. Miss Becky has gotten much, much better over the years. In fact... I want to report to you. She now has it down to one main suitcase that she's going to check and one carry-on 
and her purse, essentially. That's what, now I didn't say how big the purse is, but her purse. <laughs> and then here's how it goes at our house. As we're leaving, leaving the house for the airport, it's typically my job then to, to, to zip up her suitcase and roll it out of the house and take it to the back of the car and lift it into the back of the car. And when I lift it, that's when I start praying, really. Because, you know, they've got this 50-pound limit at the airport. How many of you know that? This 50-pound limit before they start charging you. So all the way to the airport, I'm praying that her suitcase is under. Oh, God, let this suitcase be under 50 pounds. And since I've had to lift it in the back of the car, sometimes my faith is not too strong that this is under 50 pounds. And the other thing I'm doing as we're driving to the airport is I'm developing a plan in my mind what we're going to do if we get there and this suitcase is over 50 pounds. Have you ever had the situation it was over 50 pounds and you have to get it out and open it out right there in front of God and everybody in line behind you and try to take stuff out? It's so embarrassing. And then what do you, you, know, what do, you do with that stuff? And so then with my heart pounding in my chest, I, 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 roll that, I roll that suitcase up to where the scale is going to be. And I try to act like it's light and not all that heavy. And I put it on. And it says 49.9 pounds. And this happens every time. I'm relieved. But I look at her, and I wag my finger, as if that means anything. And I say, girl, this means you cannot buy one thing on this trip unless it's one ounce or less. Because we can't get it home. And then it goes like this. She typically just gives me that sweet smile that says, bless your heart. I was watching the Travel Channel the other day, and I heard them give this advice. When you're preparing to travel, lay out all your clothes, and then lay out all your money. And then take half the clothes and twice the money, because that's the way that it typically works. Well, I'm sure you, like us, you've learned over the years how to, uh, years of lugging around uh, uh, suitcases will teach you the value of traveling light. And I'm sure most of us have learned over the years how to pack for a trip and how to, how to do a good job with that. But what do you say to people who haven't traveled, to a people who have not traveled in more than 400 years? And the day comes along where the ten plagues have, been, have now happened and, and God basically says, pack up everything because we're going on a 40-year trip. What do you say to these people? They don't have matching luggage. They don't have a passport. They don't have any experience at anything like this. But after 400 years in slavery, the children of Israel are told they're going to go on a trip. They're going to the promised land, and they need to get ready for it. And I'm going to take you to our text this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 13, where God is telling them three things that they need to understand about this journey on which they are about to embark and we're going to read it, but as we read this text, I want you to, uh, to note with me the three things that God is telling them. He's saying basically this, and this is the, the structure of our message to you this morning. He says in this Exodus chapter 13, he says, here are your directions, here's what you're supposed to pack, and here's what you can expect. Here are your directions, here's what you need to pack, 
And here's what you can expect. I want you to say that with me because this is real important for you to understand the, uh, the groundwork of where we're going this morning. Here are your directions. I can't hear you. Here are your directions. Thank you. Here's what you need to pack. And here's what you can expect. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. I'm starting at verse 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. No, God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Really? Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night, and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from his place in front of the people. God has said to them, here are your directions. Here's what you need to pack, and here's what you can expect. First thing he says is this. Here's the directions. When you look at verse 17, the Bible tells us that God sent his people south and not northeast, which would have been the shortest distance. Just imagine that you're trying to head northeast of here somewhere, and you take off and you go that way. That's exactly what he did. Made no sense. But here's what we learn from this lesson of how he did this and why God sent them this way. I hope you hear this because in God's eyes, the shortest route is not necessarily the best route. Uh, let me try it over here. The shortest route in God's eyes is not necessarily the best route. Yes, all the saved, sanctified folks are over here today. God essentially letting them know that if he takes them the short way, and if they take that which looks like the most logical, sensible way, it will not allow them the privilege of learning that which he needs them to learn and know what he needs them to know. You and I are always interested in what's, what, what's going to get me there the fastest. I mean, that's why we have those apps on our phone. What's the fastest route? And Okay, there's a traffic jam there. I'm going to go around this. What's the fastest way of getting there? But God is interested in directing us along whatever path is necessary to get us to understand, to get us to know what he needs us to know and understand. So instead of leading them the shortest way, he's going to take them the longer way. And guess what? That longer way meant they were going to have to be confronted with the Red Sea. Now, you all have the privilege of knowing exactly what happened. But when to them in that moment, they're going, surely this does not make sense. We've been given the promise of the promised land. And we're stuck here? And he put this obstacle in our way? Does it make sense? But yes, that's exactly what he did. 
because he's going to take, because that which is going to take place at the Red Sea is not only going to strengthen their faith for today, but it's also going to have great bearing and impact on their faith and how they approach the next battle and, fa- and their faith for tomorrow. And if God sends them the short way and allows them to go straight northeast, then they miss the Red Sea miracle. You apply that to your own life in whatever way the Lord is speaking to you today. And he tells them that the Red Sea miracle is not only going to be talked, to, talked about by them, but by their children and their children's children. And even heathen are going to talk about it, what happens at the Red Sea. And it will be talked about for centuries to come. So I just think we all need to understand this today, church. The longer path may take more time. It may be more inconvenient. But what you get out of it is a miracle and an understanding of God that you otherwise would not get not only for that battle, but for the battles yet to come. You know, this is not unprecedented. God sent David the long way. God sent Joseph the long way. and His journey took 13 years to the fulfillment of the vision. And, you know, if we're honest, particularly today in our day of microwaves and everything being fast, you and I have a dream and a vision, and we just want to get there. Get there now. But it is not unusual for God to send us the long way around simply because there is more of Him that we must come to understand in the process of the journey and the fulfillment of that dream. Church, I know some of you are facing a long journey as I talk to you. There is a reason for the long and arduous and inconvenient journey that God has you on. Why would God do that? Why would He make that so miserable for you? Well, I'm going to propose to you two reasons that I pull out of our text today. Number one, because you need a testimony before you go face the Philistines. Amen, Dan, that's good preaching. You need to remind yourself, just like we heard in the song this morning, in fact, I said to Becky, as, as the choir was finishing, I said, I wish I could get up and preach right now. Because she told me to get up and do it, but I I didn't do what she said. God, forgive me, all right? You need to remind yourself of what God did at the Red Sea anytime you are facing a formidable enemy. You need to say, Lord, I remember what you brought me through. For every mountain you brought me over, for every trial you brought me through. And obviously that resonated with many of us here today. In fact, I sat there and I thought, you know, the only person who would not be moved by this song today is someone either who absolutely doesn't recognize that God has seen them through or someone who literally has not had much life journey and life experience. But I look around this room and I see people who've lived a few years, who've had a few trials, and also people who are in this room today who recognize, had it not been for the Lord, you have no idea how you would be here today. How many are thankful God has seen you through? And so because he has, you have a testimony today. It may not be an exact Red Sea, but it has been your Red Sea that you have faced. The challenge has been that strong. It's been that formidable. It's been that difficult, that challenging. How in the world am I going to get through this? My back is against the wall. 
But be assured of this. God is giving you a testimony. There was an old sister in the church who'd been through the flood and through the fire many times over. And she had earned the right to say this to the church. And she would say this, Pastor, no test, no testimony. And I don't think anybody can argue with that, can you? Let's be clear about this. The Red Sea of your life is not there to get you depressed. It's not there to get you to think, woe is me, God's forgotten me. No, 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 no. It's not there to bring you down. Some of you right now are in the process of your testimony being formulated and put in place and being put in order. And he's building faith in you, which allows you to say this. Red Sea right over there. If he did it over there, anybody hearing me today, if he did it over there, and if I saw the mighty hand of God do the impossible over there, he can do it where I am today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what your testimony, that's what the building of faith in you will do. He did it there, he can do it today. When you're faced with something in your home, when you're faced with some health issue, when you're faced with some family issue, then God is saying, you know what? Go back to what I showed you before. Go back to what I did here before and be reminded that I'm a good God and that I'm faithful to my children. You know what, church? If you look through the, the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see time after time after time where it says, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And a big part of why we gather here on a Sunday morning is simply to be reminded. That's what praise is all about. I'm going to thank God for what He's done. I'm going to recall exactly what God has done for me. And out of that comes a heart of gratitude, and my praise comes from that. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. When's the last time you just sat back and said, Oh God, I'm so thankful that you saved me. I'm no longer in the pit of sin that I was. God, you have healed me. You've provided for me time and time again when it looks so impossible. You have blessed me. You've done a work in my marriage. You've saved my children. You've put me in a great church. Hallelujah. You've kept me alive. You've done miracles in my life. And God, you and only you could do that. That's what God does. And that's why we so often lift our voice to say, You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. For you are great and you do miracles so great. There's no one like you. So God, instead of sending you northeast, says, no, here's your directions. You're going south. Why? So that he can build a testimony in you. And out of that testimony will come someone who can come to Bethesda Community Church in September in 2016 and lift your voice and stand and say, for every mountain you brought me over, for every trial you brought me through, oh God, I give you praise. That's why he's doing that. Let me give you the second reason why he sends you the long way around. First reason is to give you a testimony. Second reason is to give you a song in your heart. Oh, I love it when I get to talk about music, which is pretty much every sermon. Have you ever noticed that? If you know the story, the parting of the Red Sea from Exodus 14, then you know that God gives them a Red Sea song. Sister Miriam busts out in a song, and that song was going to mean something for centuries to come. 
And it was a, a song that was going to give them some mileage. I want to refer to it this morning as song mileage. How many in the room know what I'm talking about? There's a song that's giving you some mileage. In the middle of the night, when the enemies come in and pressed in on you, and every problem that you have looms so large, you can't even sleep or you get up and walk the floor. It's a song that God will place within you that comes out of the fact that you faced a Red Sea moment. It's song mileage that you're getting out of it. It's a song that they were going to sing for some time to come. In fact, this song, we used to sing it around here from Exodus 15. That Sister Miriam sang, it says, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will extol him. And I want to give you an assignment this afternoon for those of you who are willing, those of you who need to be fortified in your praise. I want you to go home and read Exodus 15, the first 14 verses, Exodus 15, 1 through 14, and I want you to get someplace where it won't be embarrassing for you. I want you to read it out loud. I want you to, and when you read it out loud, I want you to read it with fire and passion. And when you do that, that's literally all that you need to shout out and praise to God. You'll be reminded of how great God is. God sent them the long way around because he had to put a song in them that would build their faith. And that song that they sang then is still building faith in us today, all because he sent them south instead of northeast. And he gave them a victory in the process. He said, here's your directions. Take the long way. And when you obey me and go the way I've designed for you, you're going to come away with a testimony and you're going to have a song. How many of you are glad today that God gives you a song in your heart? Gives you a song. You know what I love about the song that's, in, that's within you? That God's placed within you? It's a song that nobody can take away. Nothing. And nobody can take it away. It's a song you can sing even in the darkest of night. It's a song that you can sing when you're facing something so overwhelming and so intimidating and so frightening. But the song that he gives you, that comes out of your heart right at that moment, sometimes sounds a lot like this. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no... When everything else is changing around you, you can say this, Thou changest not. Oh, sing it. Come on. I'm so thankful for that song that God can give you. Don't ever let that song fade from your heart and from your mind. You know, so many of our praise and worship choruses tell us that God is great. The hymns tell us why. They tell us why. We need both. We need all of it. But the theology in so many of our old hymns that we've sung for so many years, and I know I'm grateful for the song. I've gotten so much mileage out of so many songs. And then you know what? When your back is against the wall, when it looks like you've got no other option, you can still sing, When peace like a river attend where's the song of the heart when sorrows in that moment you think you've got nothing left oh whatever my lot 
that's what you need in that moment. And then you start having thoughts like, uh, you know, this battle is really hard. I don't know if I've ever faced one quite this hard. And I tell you what, like what happened to me this week? The enemy found the right timing and found the right set of circumstances to come in and just absolutely go for it. And so you might be aware that, you know what, the enemy is absolutely giving me fits and he's right on top of this but I can sing though Satan should buffet though trials may come oh I love this let this bless that what that Christ has regarded my helpless and has shed his own blood. And then those moments come when you start thinking, oh God, I have failed you. There's so much sin in my life. There's just so much junk. I didn't even know I was capable of some of the stuff that I found myself doing. I thought I was beyond that. I thought I was, and here I failed you again. And it's happened again and again and again. And it's that moment you can sing my sin. Oh, the bliss of. How much of it? And here it is. Here it is. Is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. It's the song of the heart. Can anyone say hallelujah today? That he has placed within you something that you get song mileage out of in those moments, those real moments of life. Those who are living a real life with a real life journey. There's song mileage that you get out of that, and that's what God gives us. I just want to let you know that did Miriam's, Miriam's song get mileage with them? You bet it did. In fact, it's talked about all the way to Revelation chapter 15, where it's referred to as the song of Moses. God says, here's your directions. Go south. Because I'm going to give you a testimony. Go south. Because I'm going to give you a song. And it's not the shortest route. Probably doesn't make sense to you. Probably is not the one you would choose even today. But go south. And when you do, it's going to remind you of this. If he could do it over there, he could do it right where I am today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then you get the privilege of looking at that mountain that's right in front of you that's scary, that is intimidating, Everything about it is threatening, and you can say this, Mountain, do I have a song for you? Come on, put your hands together and bless the Lord. Here's your directions. Number two, here's what you pack. Moses took the bones of Joseph, verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. 
yuck. The bones of a man who had been dead for 400 years are now put in the suitcase. I couldn't help but wonder what the EPA would say about that today. Can you imagine your kids going, Daddy, what's in that box we're taking with us? Well, that's Grandpa Joseph's bones. The kids went, gross, Dad, really gross. But these bones were significant. They were not magic bones. They were not wish bones. They were simply an old man's bones, but they were much more than that. Because this was God keeping a promise that he had made 400 years previously. You see, there had been a promise given to Joseph. He did not want to be buried in Egypt. He wanted to be buried in the promised land. And what those bones packed up in a little suitcase represented was this. Those bones reminded them and reminds us, God always keeps his promises. Is that all I get out of that? God always keeps his promises. Let me just show you Genesis 50, verse 25. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, When God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So when they packed up the bones of Joseph with them, it was a reminder to those people who had just been broken free from slavery that what God promises, he will deliver. What God says, he will fulfill. And you have to recognize that no matter where God takes you, dear one, today, no matter what nation he puts you in, no matter what job he puts you in, always remember every day that you go out, you've got a suitcase full of bones with you. You've got bones wherever you go, which means you've got promises from God. Promises that he is more than able to fulfill. So when you walk into a difficult situation, just remember, whatever it is that you're carrying bones that go like this, for my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. When you're faced with fear, just remember, you've got bones with you that say, when the enemy would come in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. Those are good bones, church. How about these bones? Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. But everything's coming against you. You've got bones that say, for I know, I know, I know that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Or maybe you're going to pull out that bone that says this, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. It means when you show up on Sunday morning, to the house of God, though you may have been defeated all week long, you may have faced the enemy, you may have faced all kinds of difficulties, you can still walk in here, lift up your hands and say, but I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Those are good bones, church. Those are promises you can travel with. Those bones are there to remind us that God always comes through with whatever he says. Our text reminds us that God is saying, here's your directions. Here's what you pack. And finally, here's what you can expect. Exodus 13, we look at verse 21. The Lord went ahead of them. We've already read it. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. 
This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from his place in front of the people. This is so important for us to understand today. God is saying that because of his guidance on your journey, you're going to make progress in the daytime. But he's also telling us this, and you're going to make progress in the nighttime. Who's hearing that today? In other words, it doesn't have to be sunny outside for you to make progress in your walk with God. It doesn't have to be. It can be the darkest of night and you're still making progress. Somebody ought to say bless the Lord for that. Because here's what we learn from this passage. When you walk with God, you not only get clouds to lead you, but you get fire by night to show you the way and to help you get through the toughest times. Bless the name of the Lord. You know, before you were saved, dark times were setbacks for you. Before you came to know Jesus, if things went bad, you went bad. Back then, you would, when you ran into problems, you'd hit the bottle, you'd drink, you'd take drugs, or you'd do whatever you have to do to make you feel better. But now that we are saved, and now that we know Jesus, when things get tough, when things get difficult, we get the privilege of calling on His name. That's because now we understand that God is leading us forward even in our toughest times. And because our lives are hidden with Christ in God, even in our difficult times, we can say, but I will bless the Lord at all times and His praise will continually be upon my lips. Our dark times, the difficult time you may be going through today is still moving forward time. Why? Because here's what you can expect. A pillar of cloud by day. And a pillar of fire by night. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. When Becky and I moved here to Fort Worth in 1978, there was a church from the south part of Fort Worth that they were on TV on Sunday afternoons. They had a big choir, and I remember hearing them belt it out. Oh, it was so great. With a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. I close with this story from Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 9, he talks about also, he talks about the fire and the clouds, and this is so incredible. Nehemiah 9, verse 9. You saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. Remember how God took them the long way to the south instead of directly to the northeast because he was going to give them a song and a testimony. Verse 10. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his officials, and all his people, for you knew how arrogantly they were treating our ancestors. You have a glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. You divided the sea for your people, Nehemiah says, so they could walk through on dry land. And then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the mighty waters. What a picture. You led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so they could find their way. And starting in verse 13, this is a listing also of more of what God did for them. You came down at Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and instructions that were just and decrees and commands that were good. You instructed them concerning your holy Sabbath and you commanded them through Moses, your servant, to obey all your commands, decrees, and instructions. 
You gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry and water from the rock when they were thirsty. You commanded them to go and take possession of the land you had sworn to them. But here's where it gets intense. But our ancestors were proud, stubborn. They paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn. And they appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. Oh, but you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. They committed terrible blasphemies. And trust me, if Dan had been in charge, the next verse would have said something like this, and I cast them into outer darkness, and I cut them off forever. That's what it would have been like. But look what verse 19 says. And I want you to stay with me for this last couple of minutes here. But in your great mercy... Are you breathing? But in your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud still led them forward by day, and the pillar of fire showed them the way through the night. Do you see what I'm seeing in this Bethesda? It's saying that even in your worst condition, when you were faithless and wretched and stubborn and obstinate and arrogant, cynical and stupid, turned your back on God by crediting some ridiculous calf for the work that God had performed. You know what this tells us? God was still there. I said God was still there, even in that moment. He didn't say, as I would have probably said, okay, that's it, pulling away the cloud cloud and the fire to guide you. Go get your own GPS. See if you can get there your own way. No, 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 no. He said, I'm still there. Maybe you understand it better when I say it this way. When, even when I'm not faithful, God is still faithful. Even when I'm not faithful, God is still faithful. Even when you're not faithful, He is still guiding you. You know what, parents? You who think your children are just not listening to anybody, let me give you an encouragement this morning. God can still lead them. When you think they're just running around, the vile things that come out of their mouth that seem so godless, that make you think all hope is gone, God goes, trust me, let me tell you what I can do. Just like I ran my people right into the Red Sea, I can run your kid right smack dab in front of a spirit-filled, God-honoring person that will turn their world upside down. Because that's the kind of God we serve. They may seem hopeless to you today, but there's still a pillar of cloud over them by day and a pillar of fire by night. Even in your worst condition, 
He says, I'm still guiding you. Your disloyalty doesn't begin to discredit God's loyalty. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that he's faithful even when I'm faithless. Are you agreeing with me that today? You know, let me just ask, how many of you have loved ones that you're praying for? It may be a spouse, it may be you have loved ones that you're praying for. I know many of you do. Let's, let's stand together, all of us. No one leaving. Please, everyone, respect the house of God. We're going to pray specifically for those that you have lifted your hands for today. Maybe one of your children, it may be a spouse, it may be a friend, it may be a co-worker. Whatever it is, I just want you to be encouraged today that God is still able to lead them and guide them and put them right in the place that they need to be to encounter His great saving power. Blessed be the Lord. You can know for sure the pillar of cloud never leaves. Pillar of fire never leaves. And I want you to join me. Let's just lift our hands together to God today. Come on, right now. Lifting up holy hands, the Bible says. Lord, we're asking you, would you just hound them until they surrender to you, Jesus? We know that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. It is nothing for you to take our loved one and that person that we're praying for today, the person we are lifting, our thoughts are of them right now as we're lifting them before you today. It's nothing for you to put them right in some situation where they will have to have a divine encounter with you. Lord, we are so thankful today that the pillar of cloud has not left us. The pillar of fire is not gone. And we can always expect you to be faithful. Keep doing it, oh God, we're asking you. Lord, I'm praying that there are some this week who need to discover the strong bones that they're carrying around. Let those promises of God resonate within our souls this week in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, we're going to follow your directions. Even if we don't like south, even if we don't like that way, even if it's difficult to accept your will and your way, we're going we're to accept what you have for us because we know that at the end of the day, you are placing within us a testimony and a song. And what matters more than anything is your will and your way because you're the one with the great plan for our lives, far better than any plan that we have. So what we're simply saying today is this. Jesus, be the Lord of our lives. We surrender all to you. Everything to you we surrender. That is the only way to live. We're going to follow your lead. We're going to go as you say to go. We're going to go the way that you say. It may take longer. It may be inconvenient. But we're going to trust that you know what you're doing. All to Jesus I surrender. Ever love and trust in his presence daily live.
this morning at your feet. And Lord, we make a commitment from this moment forward. It's not ours to control, not ours to manipulate, not ours to design. We're going to declare, we're going to live according to your will and your purpose. We're going to go the way that you have for us. Knowing, Lord, if you did it back then, you can do it again. Guiding us, Lord, making a way where there seems to be no